everyone. I am Emily Landers, and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome, everyone. I'm so happy that you're joining us today. We have a great conversation ahead with Jenny Monez. But before we dive in, I wanted to extend a very special welcome to those of you who are just listening to the podcast. Welcome. If this is your first time listening, I'm so happy that you're here. I think you're really going to enjoy these conversations. And if you have listened to all of our episodes, Thank you. Thank you for coming back again and again each week to check in on these Tuesday mornings to be introduced to an amazing new guest or perhaps hear the story behind someone you may already be familiar with their life and career. Luke and I are back from Las Vegas, and I had an amazing response to a recent bonus episode that we did over here on HSDT. For those of you who are just now tuning in, you have stumbled across my most favorite thing. I have never um, launched or started a project that has brought me quite as much joy and excitement as this podcast has. We did a little brainstorming session on a recent Friday Favorites episode. If you haven't listened to that, go ahead and listen. You're going to get to know me a little bit better. You're going to be able to hear a little bit more about what's coming up with the podcast and my hopes in making sure that this is a profitable and exciting business, one that I can do for many more years to come. Because you guys, that's how much I love it. That's how much I'm enjoying getting to know you and my amazing guests, which leads me to today's episode and today's guest, Ginny Monez. Ginny is a parent and child educator. She's Mo Mommies on Instagram. You guys are going to hear all about her ventures as co-founder of Union Square Play in New York City. I love following Ginny. I have not stepped into the season of life that is motherhood, but I'll tell you what, I will be well prepared after knowing Ginny, seeing what it is that she's sharing, how she encourages mothers. It's really amazing. You guys are going to love this episode. She's so chill, down to earth, fun. I think we would be friends. Here is Ginny Monez on How'd She Do That? Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of How'd She Do That? Today's guest, Ginny Monez, is the founder and creator of Mo Mommies, a resource for moms and moms-to-be to connect, share experiences, and form a community. She is also the co-founder of Union Square Play, an in-person play place and digital community based in New York City. After Ginny studied psychology and education and received her master's degree from Columbia University in New York, she immediately began working with young children. She taught English to 18 to 24-month-old native Mandarin-speaking children, then became an educational director of several early childhood centers and preschools, and shortly after, even took a foray into teaching college undergrad students. Ginny believes in supporting and empowering new parents, which she does regularly through Mo Mommies, her online presence, and her incredible community in New York at Union Square Play. When Ginny isn't teaching classes, speaking at events, or providing practical information for parents on social media, she is busy raising her own little ones, Tess and Nell. Jenny, welcome to How'd She Do That? 
Thank you so much. What a wonderful <laughs> introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, this is one that I have been so excited about. I mentioned to the I mentioned this to you before we started recording. Um, I don't even know when I was originally introduced to you, but I will go to your page just to check in on Tess and Nell and and to see all that you're doing <laughs> because I love your family. So this is such a treat for me today. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to hear that. It just oh. shows how much I we feel connected even, you know, through social media, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I've, I've literally pulled up pictures of your girls and shown my husband and said, look how cute. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then just the insight and the wisdom that you share. I, I'm so excited to, to have you today. And I want to dive in because I know so many of us do know you from sharing your day-to-day -day life with the girls and your husband and your family. But I want to hear a little bit more of the behind the scenes, the, the beginning days of all that you now share. So anyways, let's go back. I know I mentioned in your introduction where you went to school, but perhaps you answer that. Where did you go to school and what did you major in? Yes. So I went to George Washington University for undergrad and like some, maybe many, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I chose a school <laughs> solely based on things like location and just not necessarily area of study. <laughs> and through taking some of my core classes, I realized I was so interested in psychology and the human mind and brain and dove into those classes. I actually loved them. I mean, many people enjoy their classes in college, but I really loved them. And so I knew that's what I wanted to major in. And I, as a senior in college, met my husband who was a freshman. And so oh. I guess for many reasons, I felt like I needed to continue the student journey. I wasn't ready. <laughs> um, and I had applied to graduate school before meeting him, actually, but was even more thrilled when I got accepted to Teachers College Columbia University that I could sort of be still a student even though I was no longer going to be at school with him. But I quickly learned that graduate school is a lot different than undergraduate. <laughs> and I was really more focused on the studying and learning and less of the social aspects of it. <laughs> and it even it solidified even more that while I loved psychology, I really loved developmental and early childhood psychology. I wasn't mm. sure exactly if it was the developmental component and just figuring out how the brain starts to work or mm -hmm. if it was specifically kids that I, I loved learning about. So I learned, um, and I can close up this question because I'm sure there's more. So I just learned <laughs> that I loved psychology and the development of the human brain in graduate school. And it's so funny because, well, tell me this, did you know that before going in? I mean, that's when you really honed in on this is an area that I really love and potentially could work in. Is that right? Yes. So I always knew I wanted, once I figured out psychology was my area of interest, that I wanted to work in that field, but I didn't know how. I think right. initially when I chose psychology, I pictured being a psychologist or a psychiatrist and having a private practice. I wasn't really sure all the different routes that it could take majoring in that. Mm -hmm. And so I knew, yes, it solidified that I wanted to work in that area, but I think it wasn't until later that I knew just how. So graduate school just further solidified psychology. Mm -hmm. But then through um, 
career choices, I learned more specifically what I wanted to do with that. Okay. It's so interesting to hear because so many of my listeners, they're recent grads. We even have people who are kind of pivoting in their career and thinking about, well, what is it that I might want to do? But in your case, you really kind of went macro and then micro. So through the the classes and, and through experience, you're like, wait a second. Okay. I really, really love this. Well, I'm curious, what did it look like to wrap up graduate school and to think about what your first role was going to be? And perhaps tell us a little bit about what that trajectory looked like and and how you landed that job. Yeah. So you're absolutely right that it it started more macro and went micro. So when I was wrapping up graduate school, I still didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So I just sort of, again, was... Like, what's the next step? And I didn't necessarily just have the ability to continue school eternally, you know. (laughs) There were definitely student loans and things like that, but I just felt strongly enough that this was my path, that I knew I wasn't wasting time, that I just Mm -hmm. was maybe getting closer to figuring out what I wanted to do. So I figured that the next step would be a potential PhD program or a PsyD program, which is sort of a doctorate in, you know, the school system, psychology setting. And so in order to really get into programs like that, you need some clinical research experience. So I didn't want to just apply directly from graduate school. I was like, let me just get some of the experience working in research. Mm. I know that's not necessarily going to be my favorite experience, but I know that that's an important part of this experience. And so I applied to different hospitals and um, different labs and things like that. And I tried a few and landed on a position in clinical research at Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. So it was a really heavy experience, actually, and not necessarily directly related to any of the field, the, the parts of the field that I was interested in, but it helped me learn about what clinical studies are all about. You know, I was actually spinning blood in the labs, wearing a lab coat, like all of this stuff. So it really was my first glimpse into the parts of your career and your path to your career that isn't necessarily what you pictured doing, but right. it's the same thing when you major in anything. You take classes that you're like, oh, do I have to take algebra? But you know, <laughs> it's part of it, right? So that's what that year was really about for me was, okay, this is sort of a means to an end, but at the same time, it really took a toll on me emotionally. Mm. And it was then after about nine, 10 months in that people around me started to be actually a little bit concerned about the heaviness. And I started to realize I needed to, to figure it out. I couldn't just keep doing this. Right. And so I took a break from all of it. Um, Maybe it was like just a few months. I lived with my parents for like three months and then was like, I remember and started to think about what I was, you know, I really started to think then, you know, I need to, how do I want to apply this? And so I started applying to jobs on Craigslist, working with children. I knew that I loved that part of the clinical research stuff, going to the pediatrics and connecting with the kids and the patients. And Mm -hmm. and that's what hit home the most when those patients would lose their lives and Mm -hmm. I would have created connections with them. And so that's how I knew it was children, early childhood, developmental psychology. And I said, okay, I'm going to just apply to get more experience with children. Mm -hmm. And so I applied on Craigslist to several nurseries, daycares, preschools. I really didn't know what I was doing, but (laughs) one of the first um, jobs to respond was this 
preschool in Chinatown, New York City, with <laughs> Mandarin speaking children who their families wanted them to learn English. So this school wanted to hire English speaking teachers to work with Mandarin speaking assistant teachers wow. and children who really didn't speak English. Oh. And I was such a fish out of water, but I loved it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, and it's so sweet too, because to to hear your stint and just to backtrack for a moment in that clinical research timeframe, you know, when I see what you share and when I see how you operate with your girls and with how you encourage moms, and even it's so funny myself, not even a mom yet, I love what you share and, and whatnot. Anyways, my, my thought here just briefly is, to, to think of you in that clinical research season, I see so much of, and maybe you can tell us, I see so much of uh, perhaps compassion you learned even in that stage of life in all that you do now and, and patience. And, and and I don't know, I just wonder if there's any kind of connect, really the word that sticks out would just be compassion in, in so much of what you do. I, I would guess that could link back to that experience. Yes, absolutely. I think Going through that experience, I realized that while I was sort of personally suffering, that I mm. it, it impacted those around me too. And yeah. so it, it sort of does make you realize, you know, similarly to when children behave in a certain way and we're like, wow, that was hurtful or what are they doing or right. what is this behavior that there's really emotions underneath it. So at that wow. time, I really sort of alienated. Thank God I have such unconditional, <laughs> unconditionally supportive people in my life, like my now husband, yes. and my family, and many of my friends who, you know, were, you know, it was really not a good time. I was, I was alienating people, but yeah. I think for them to have stood by me, they realized there something must be going on. And that's yeah. really how I, so yeah, it absolutely, I think, helped shape that compassion that when there's things going on with someone and it's out of character, it's like, whoa, what's happening? Right. It comes from a place of that something's going on for that child or that person, Wow. as opposed to why are they being malicious or hurting me or, yep. you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I mean, and you guys, that's a great thought just right off the bat for any situation in life. Like like you're saying, not just a child, but a person. So think twice. When somebody lashes out, there might be a little something behind it. And yeah, that compassion element is key. Well, well, what a fun kind of uh, switch from going to an experience that was extremely challenging, but you learned so much, to then speaking with these Mandarin-speaking children. I mean, yeah. how fun is that? What did a day in the life look like? in that role? Well, that is, I mean, I say that that was my PhD in children. Wow. I truly mean it because <laughs> there would be times. So first of all, I really didn't know what I was doing in terms of educating children. So it was a <laughs> two to three-year-old class. I remember I was, you know, my husband and I had broke up for a little while I was teaching there <laughs> and I went on a date and he was like, how old are the kids that you teach? And I told him, he's like, well, that's like daycare. And that was immediately when I started that whole, <laughs> if you're a daycare teacher and you're listening to this, you feel insulted by that. You're like, no, it's not just babys glorified babysitting. We are teaching. They are learning. Yes. And I really believe that. Um, yeah. So it, it, it was a learning experience of working in the field and also learning about these children. There would be a child who would be dropped off and hysterically crying, knew not a mm -hmm. single word of English. I knew not a single word of Mandarin. And yet 
I would be that child's person. I remember I was kind mm-hmm. of, I came late one day and they were like, oh, thank God you're here. Yo-Yo can't stop crying. And she saw me and immediately stopped crying. So it just showed oh. so many examples about how it's not language yeah. at that age. Yes, you talk and respect through words, but it's really so much deeper than that. It's about is this person attuned to me? Are they paying attention to me? Do they see me? Do they hear me? And I learned Mm. that through that, that we did not have common language, at least not until, you know, further into the school year when they were learning more English. I wish I could say I learned more Mandarin, but I am not a language person. (laughs) That's Um, what I was going to say. Did you learn any? (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. I did go to China, you know, further into the career and I learned a little bit, but Wow. Yeah, we connected through play and through all the things that I talk about as being so meaningful in mm. childhood. It was play, it was connecting, it was collaborating, cooperating, nurturing, warmth, caregiving, like taking them, you know, changing their diaper or taking mm-hmm. them to the potty. I learned all of that by wow. really like living with these kids day to day. And the school day was long. It was a daycare day. It was like eight right. to five. Some would stay till six. So it was all day. Oh my gosh. And how long were you at this role? So I was there for almost two years and then worked with the pre-K kids and it turned into a little bit more of training and and helping them get into gifted and talented programs. So I also saw the more structured way of educating children. And then I'd say, you know, so I'd say overall about almost three years in, they they asked me to be the director, wow. education director. And through those three years, I did take more graduate school work for mm-hmm. and got certified in teaching, you know, the more micro stuff that we were talking about. Right. I, I fulfilled all of that stuff through those those three years as well. Oh my gosh. Well, it's so fun. It's so fun to just put together the different pieces. And again, those of you who are listening and you guys follow Jenny and you're familiar with Momami's, how cool is it to think about this? I mean, gosh, yeah, even the day-to-day of speaking of, I was going to say speaking, actually hanging out <laughs> with yeah. children and learning. Gosh, I mean, I can't even imagine how much you learned in, in that season. What did it look like to go to the educational director position? What changed for you then? I mean, it sounds like a, a lot of responsibilities. Were there multiple centers at that point? What did that look like? Yeah. And there's a few anecdotal things that stick out. You know, I remember <laughs> when I was first asked about the role. My director at the time was like, you've come so far. You know, when you first got here, we would walk by the classroom and you'd be like playing with the girl's hair. And (laughs) (laughs) then we'd walk by and you would be really, they would be speaking English and we just saw how much you've learned. I didn't, it wasn't even comfortable singing a song. By the end I was doing like their graduate you know, ceremony and singing in front of parents. I have a terrible singing voice. And I was self-conscious about that even in front of these kids. You know, I really learned and came out of my shell. So And they did too, together. Yeah. Um, But I also felt that it was a definite huge jump. And they did too. They're like, we're only concerned because you're so young. And to to take on this role, I remember I wore little heels because I wanted to look and be taken more seriously. I wasn't a parent. And yet I was expected to not only give these parents tours of the program, but to oversee staff that were much older than me. Yeah. So it was a big leap, but one that I took so seriously. I mean, I, my husband 
was like, you're working as if you're like a lawyer or doctor <laughs> or like banker in terms I of love it. how much I, I like brought it home with me and would answer parent emails. And it's almost all of this sounds like long days and lots of, but it just showed how much I knew this was what I was had to do. You know, wow. I loved it. Oh my gosh. Well, it's so fun. And it, it shows now. I mean, it's fun to know kind of where you're at at this season of life and, and being back a few years thinking about this. Now, tell me what was happening in your personal life? Because I know you keep mentioning your husband. At what point in this story are we not quite there yet? Does he become your husband? No, we are nowhere near there. It took him a very long time. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. So, so we'll get to right. it. We'll get to that one. <laughs> Yeah. But so personal life, when I said I went through that tough time, we actually broke up when I sort of came out of that tough time, when I landed my job as an early childhood teacher. That was when I really started to see myself as, you know, I was more secure and sure of myself. That first job in Chinatown sort of signified more than just, oh, I found my career path. I really found myself. And he was still in college, was about to finally graduate. This was like three years after I graduated. And I was like, we don't have the best relationship. I mean, he was in college. I was trying, I was having a sort of quarter life crisis. And (laughs) it just, I feel like it's not good for us right now. And despite me realizing that, you know, we never stayed out of touch, but we did break up. Um, when I started working at the school, it, it really was the time when I was just fulfilled within myself. And yeah. when I talked about getting that director position and him being back in the picture, that is when we sort of got back together. When I, okay. two and a half, three years in, was in the next stage of my career, him and I got back together. It's funny how I never even realized that it sort of correlated. (laughs) Well, and it's cool. And it's so great for for listeners here too, because it is fun to think about you not only, uh, you know, meeting in college and whatnot, but there were a few years that you were kind of running around New York, I mean, and working. And for my New York buffs, um, and I know you're still there and many of my listeners are there, but I, I did a small stint in New York. So I always love to ask, where were you living? How, where were you commuting from to get to Chinatown at that point? Yes. So like I said, I moved back with my parents before the Chinatown job. And so the initial few months I was commuting um, and then got a, a job. Maybe it was like a month of, of the commuting life. And then my mom and I went and looked at apartments and I got a little studio on 54th Street. Yeah, 54th between Park and Madison. I loved it. Okay, so so fun. Well, it's so fun to think about. I always love putting that together and and kind of mapping it out in my head. I'm like, okay, so that's where you win and this is the train. It's just fun for those of us who aren't in the city anymore to think of you running around and and even still doing that. I think it was the F train. Yes. Yeah, and I would get off at Eldridge Street. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's so fun. I love mapping that kind of stuff out. Well, it's really cool too, to think about, I mean, this chunk of time, it it sounds like was very foundational and for you to really solidify, like, this is what I love. This is what I want to do. What did it look like as you stepped into that director role? It, It did seem and sounds like it was big shoes to fill, were you immediately confident in the role? Did it take a big growing leap? I mean, what did that kind of look like and how long did you stay in that position? So I, for also for anyone listening, there are some jobs 
in life that may seem not so skilled, um, that actually Mm. are super teach you a lot. And I think two of them that I've had the privilege of being are a cocktail waitress and a daycare teacher. That makes you really confident. When you're a waitress, you have to have confidence. You have to juggle a ton. You have to multitask. You, you're, you can't really be shy, you know, when you're telling people what's on the menu or guiding them, you kind of have to be personable. Yeah. And then a daycare teacher, like I told you, I started out like not even wanting to sing. And then by the end, I was talking with all of these children's parents <laughs> as like almost a third parent. I was responsible for their kids throughout the day. I had to delegate to assistant teachers. I had to, you know, really run a classroom. And so- right. Talk about public speaking. You don't think about it, but both of those roles really helped me be confident. You know, I was already responsible for a little bit of staff, maybe not a whole school of staff and, uh, you know, 25 kids at one point. So I think it just was that to a larger extent. So, of course, there were certain things that I had to come out of my shell about a little bit more, but I had already helped step in with leading tours for parents. I knew the school inside and out. Um, So it really wasn't about feeling insecure in that role. I guess the harder part was the hardest part about it was staff. I, wow. It was hard for me to be their colleague and now their boss. Yeah. That was the hardest part. Well, and it's so interesting because again, so many listeners might be in a similar position And it's just something, I I guess it's just something that you have to grow into because now at this point, obviously with Union Square Play and even Mo Mommies, and and there's so many things that tie in even your ability. I mean, even now you do so many different speaking engagements. You do have a team that you oversee. And to think back to these earlier years of like, wow, this is where the foundations of all that you do now, really the building blocks began. So tell us a little bit. I know there's a there's another chunk in uh, of your career before Mo Mommies and Union Square Play. Tell us about that because then you actually went on to more childhood centers, right, and more preschools as what as a director. Is that right? Where was it? A couple of yes. different moves. Is that what that looks like in New York? I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, so it was within the school. Shortly after becoming a director, they sent me to their flagship location, Uptown. So I was no longer in Chinatown. I was now working on the Upper West Side at like the mega school of this chain of schools and a much different, you know, community of parents, some much more demanding, some more laid back, some less focused on the educational stuff that the community downtown was focused on. Right. Some more fixate. You know, it was just a different community. And it was also a different community of teachers. I would say the hardest part of this, the whole career w- was the staff. So yeah, they really sent me there to sort of take the school out from underwater. The teachers had joined a union and were literally marching outside wow. the school from the previous director. And oh my gosh. <laughs> lice had actually broke out in the school. Um, no. and so- I went into like, oh my God, it was just (laughs) like a really bad case of lice. I had to hire people to come and check the kids and like issue refunds to parents. So I saw a different part (laughs) of this job that I did not go to school for. (laughs) And I was there for a really long time. Oh my God. I think it was like 
I would have to do the math. I want to say eight, but it was probably five. It's funny. I don't know. (laughs) I think it was five years that I was there. I loved the chat. I mean, to be in that for five years, I'm looking back and I'm like, oh my God, no wonder I can handle being a mom. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. (laughs) It was really a lot. It was a lot, but it was so fun. Like I said, I went to China, but my boss sent a few of us who had been a director for five years to China. So Wow. I must have been working there for a little bit over five years. And then a friend who I went to college with, like an acquaintance at that point, I hadn't heard from him in ages, had gotten in touch with me because he was opening an early childhood center from the ground up. And he's like, I heard you're in the industry. I just need some advice on like where I should hire people. He was not interested in hiring me because he was very specific and he wanted a Reggio Emilia, which is a specific early childhood philosophy trained um, director. Wow. The minute when he called me, I was like, I need that job. (laughs) Anyway, he hired somebody, not me. (laughs) And a few months later, that person fell through and he reached back out and was like, we want you. And I landed my dream job there. Um, Yeah. And I thought that I, I, I never went back to the other school, even though I thought I always would. It's funny how that happens. Like, you always think, I think it's my, my, I hate saying goodbye. So I thought that oh, I was like, yeah. Maybe I'll see you guys later. But I got so immersed in the new position that I, I never went back. Of course, I'm, you know, I stayed in touch, but I never physically went back to this Upper West Side. I was just never anywhere near there. Yet <laughs> my whole life had been there besides where I lived. Oh. Um, so I, it was called Explore and Discover. And it was really meant to be everything that I talk about now, you know, Rai, which is respectful parenting, another term for it, respectful parenting in a social setting, really extensively trained staff, um, four teachers instead of the minimal two. So lots of a really great um, teacher-child ratio. And so I was really excited about that. And I took it super seriously until it really was hard to maintain with budget and Mm. politics and me um, trying to get pregnant a year and a half into that and having a hard time. All of that came to a head around the same time. Wow. Yes. I know that was a mouthful. (laughs) No, I love it. No, I mean, this is like every single step along the way is just amazing to me to to see where you are now. And I know we're going to get there. But it is, I'd love for you to share a little bit because I I know personally, I know a little bit of your story in in stepping into motherhood. Um, But I'd love for you to share a little bit. So, my guess and my thought here is that you actually step away. And yeah. then you, you step into a season of, of thinking, okay, well, it, you know, it's my turn. And, and uh, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that. And remind me, how many years ago is this now? How old is Tess? So Tess is three and a half. She was oh. born in 2017. So this was 2015, 16. Okay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that season of life. I mean, you've had an amazing career up until this point and you love children. And now you're thinking, Hey, maybe it's time to have my own. Yeah. And so since I had worked so much with children, I really wasn't in a rush for them to be my own yet. I really knew as much as you can know before becoming a parent, what it involved it in my head. It wasn't necessarily just the fantasy of the you know, strolling along calmly. I knew the chaos of (laughs) of parenthood very, very well. Right. Again, you can't really know, I think, until you become one. 
But I started to really hear about at the time and, you know, just struggles people had. No one was so outspoken about it, but I just always had this like inkling. And so my husband could have waited years and years to have kids um, (laughs) the same way he waited years and years to get engaged. But I was like, I think we need to just kind of figure out if there's not a problem, I'm okay waiting. If there is, I'm not so okay waiting. And so I said to him, can we just like make sure everything's good? I'm going to go off birth control, all of that. So we did all of that. And then we, I wouldn't say soon realized, but like sort of, I guess, six months and realized that like we were probably going to need to do IVF. And I, you know, had been told like to try and keep your life less stressful. I mean, it's so crazy (laughs) how they try and tell you that, like the body chemistry. And so I started to really almost resent my job and, Mm. you know, not the part that I love, but like when there would be lots of teacher turnover or when there would be a plumbing issue and a flood issue and things that just were not what I loved, it bothered me more than ever before. You Mm, know, I was like, this is, I can feel this creating stuff in my body. And while I never cared about that before, because I thought stress was a a healthy amount of stress was good. I started to really like be scared of that and Mm. its impact on my body. When things would be so busy and I wouldn't be able to necessarily eat a wholesome meal, I I didn't like that because I was working towards becoming a parent. That's when I realized I'm not going to do – my vision of always having like my baby at the daycare I worked at is probably not going to be. I think that I'm I'm reaching a point where I'm ready for not only the next path in my life of becoming a parent, but also a a career change. I don't know what that is yet, but I'm going to share the stuff that I've learned in school that I feel like is so disconnected from parents. You know, we do all this incredible stuff at school, but then parents – especially at the schools I was at, were so busy, they would pick up and go home. And we never really got to kind of bridge the gaps of the amazing stuff at school and the social setting with the stuff at home. And so that's when I had the idea of sharing this stuff um, on social media. Oh my gosh. Well, it's so cool to think about how that transition happened. And even a little bit of, I, I guess, and maybe this was unbeknownst to you, but a little bit of prep well, I guess you would it would have gone hand in hand of thinking, hey, this would be a great addition to motherhood to be able to share yeah. and to to have this oh, yeah. right and to have this out there and to have this outlet even. Now, I was watching an interview with you recently and it was so interesting cuz you mentioned and you're probably like, what did I say? But it's good. You mentioned that at first you didn't even know perhaps if you were going to share your own children. So, it was yeah. really kind of really, it was educational. I mean, it was truly sharing your education with parents. What what did it look like when people started noticing? I mean, I kind of, as someone who's not yet a mother, but hopes to be someday, the motherhood world kind of freaks me out a little bit. Like I'm kind of like, oh gosh, so many opinions, so many thoughts. What did it look like when you recognized that people were engaging with what you were sharing and were interested in it? Yeah. So it didn't happen like right away, but yes, you're absolutely right. I always was like, you know, first of all, I am all about respectful parenting and how am I not going to give my child the respect of knowing when they're in front of the public eye before they're even able to like open their eyes. And I was very much, uh, and I'm not saying that now I'm not, it's something I think about all the time. But at the time when I was thinking about creating this, yes, it was going to be about, these are some great toys to, you know, expose your child to and maybe images of a child's hands with the toys. These are some great ways to diaper. And there were some images of me 
with another parent, not showing her baby's face, kind of consulting her in her home on like the way she should set up her diaper table, like the similar way to how I would help professional development stuff in our school. This is how you guys should set up your changing table. And, you know, I was going to really share all that. All of my friends who were pregnant had always come to me for advice. I was going to share products and things like that. Yeah. It changed for me once I became a mom, once I gave birth. Wow. I wasn't like, now I'm going to show my child, but I was like, okay, I can't even maintain all of this respectful parenting. And I'm actually feeling a lot of guilt about that and would speak to my mentors and, you know, in respectful parenting that I learned from and, and say to them, I'm not only having such a hard time because I can't sleep, eat, or have time to like heal, mm. but my baby is inconsolable. And so I'm rocking her and, mm. you know, shushing her. And I, I would never tell a teacher to do that. Meanwhile, we had children starting at three months old. So the zero to three months is actually a difference between like survival and like, okay, <laughs> I can start breathing again. So my mentors were like, oh my God, like you shouldn't even think about that. Yeah. You know, this is survival. And I realized that if I were just to continue sharing how your diaper changing area should look, I'm giving a false sense of motherhood. I wow. have no idea how I would even find the time to care about how my diaper changing position <laughs> looks. It is a mess and everything's all over the place. <laughs> so oh I just quickly was like, okay, we I, there would be posts where I'm like, sorry, there's no way to post anything today. I can't even breastfeed. My baby's refusing the boob. Like There would be things that I was sharing like that that at the time probably seems really common now, but no one was was really doing that then. I'm not saying I was like creating a whole sensation of people doing it, but I think there were a few of us that started to really be like, we need to be real on yeah. here if we're going to be sharing our lives. Yeah. Um, so that's what it was for me, that I, my point of the Mo Mommies account was to help support and alleviate stress. And by not sharing that real aspect of it, I wasn't doing that. And so that's when it shifted. And I hope, and this is a whole nother topic, that one day my girls will see that that's why I showed them only, I mm. think, in a respectful way. Yeah. You know, but it's something I still think about. But yes, that's when it shifted for me. Oh, well, and it's it's obvious even now. And I think it's something that attracts anyone. And again, I, I think it, it's such a testament to you that myself, not even a mom yet, I love seeing what you're sharing. I love seeing what you're posting. And even more so than that, you know, it does at this point go back to your website and it goes back to all that you're doing with Union Square Play. And in the beginning to think of you being like, okay, whatever, I'm just, I can't, I can't, I love the example of here is what your little diaper area should look like. And you're like, <gasps> are you kidding me? Like, right. I love I'm that. Like, I need to like get more diapers because yeah. we ran out. I'm like, <laughs> like that is the realist. That is just hilarious to me, but it's so true because I think that's what attracted more and more women to you. But I'd love to know what's your first memory of looking at Momo? and thinking, oh, okay, I'm kind of onto something here. Maybe it was a comment or maybe it was, you know, a, a number of people or what, what do you have a memory of being like, yeah. oh, wow. I do. I never thought about it until you said it. I remember I did a post of 
when Tess was sick and in the post, and I'm sure there were some before that that resonated with people, but I remember this one post being like, wow. Mm. Um, Well, two of them in particular, but one of them was Tess was sick and I posted about it being probably one of the hardest things, not them just being sick, but not being able to take away something negative from them feeling, you know, that sense of helplessness. And it was a picture of me holding her. She was nude and I did not look glamorous at all. And it was, you know, I said, I I had a session with my trainer, who's a very close friend that morning. I was like, I don't understand why this got so many likes so quickly. And he said to me, because it's so real. Mm. And then the next one, which was like maybe a month later, was when Tess got bit in one of the classes at Union Square Play. Mm. And that got so many, so much engagement. These were not like... Jenny looks so cool or she's wearing some nice outfit, which right. I had initially thought I would potentially have to do all the time. <laughs> you know, that's what Instagram was. These were like regular iPhone, probably grainy pictures. Yeah. And I realized, okay, there's something here. People want this, you know, they want to connect with it. It's my thoughts and also a little bit of my own expertise. And so that's when mm. I really was believing more and more in myself and what I was trying to do with it. Oh, well, and it's what what's really crazy is I think I I think I remember both of those posts. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm not even kidding. I think I remember both of those and again, I just I, I'm just laughing over here as someone who's not even a mom. I feel like I'm learning from you already. I feel like you're prepping me and so for mothers to be able to go and and gosh, you guys, for those of you who don't follow Jenny, we're going to give you a chance to find her later on. I'll I'll share that um because you're going to want to see just the different things that you're highlighting. But but it is. It's so cool to to think okay, Hey, I think I'm onto something. Now, you mentioned here, and I want to tie this in because I want to hear a little bit more about Union Square Play. Yeah. T- tell us a little bit more about that business, that entity. I mean, it's so fun to see all of the different things you all have going on. And even throughout COVID, you guys kept an amazing community with different you know, things online. But tell us a little bit more about Union Square Play and, and maybe when did that come into your story? So I think when I, since I had all this experience working in physical locations, it was always something in the back of my mind. It wasn't necessarily exactly what my goal was because like we discussed, we, I was thinking about, you know, flexibility part of being a mom and, you know, having physical space wouldn't necessarily allow for that, you know, so I wasn't sure what, what component it would play, but I definitely always pictured having a physical space in some shape or form, meaning it wasn't going to be a drop off of any sort because it wasn't about, you know, taking care of children, but helping the parents or caregivers take care of the children and also connecting. Wow. And you know what I mean by take care. Of course, I love taking care of children, but it was more about empowering them and connection. And so I, again, didn't know, would that be, you know, a play studio? Would it be a we workspace with kids? I had no idea what it would be, oh, wow. but I always pictured it. And um, eight weeks after Tess was born, one of my mom's mom friends is like, we should put together a mom group. She's like, you should lead it. And I was like, okay, I don't really know who would be interested in, in that <laughs> stuff. You know, you're just grabbing together some moms who gave birth around the time that we did, but maybe they're not into respectful parenting. Maybe they're just like, okay, I have to go back to work and And that you can still be a respectful parent with that, but maybe they don't, you know, so I had no idea what to expect, but I was just like, okay, for there to be like sort of me as the reason to bring all of these moms together and I feel really lonely, why not? And so I asked to do it 
at a space called Kids at Work and at a school called Preschool of the Arts through connections I had made working in the field. I sort of like rented the rooms and did one or two moms groups. At the time, I was also completing certification in RYE, which is a respectful parenting approach. Mm. And I felt like this was a good way to separate from my then um, three, sorry, like, you know, she was three months when I did the one hour per week. And then- At six months, I did like three hours per week, you know, three different groups. So it was sort of my easing into work and momhood. And in one of those groups, I met a mom who is now one of my partners at Union Square Play. So it happened very organically. After our group was over, she's like, I'm in hospitality and there's a space under our cafe, the Kellogg's Cafe in Union Square. (laughs) We're going to make it a play space. I'd love for you to teach this group there. That's how she invited me. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I was a little bit jealous. I'm like, she has a space? (laughs) I don't understand. I had no idea. And I went to the space and was blown away by this sort of blank slate kid's Haven. In my eyes, it was just like, this is where I need to create this community. Wow. But they just were inviting me to teach a group. (laughs) (laughs) And so I sort of was like, you know, shyly voicing this like, oh, do you have like a manager or what about if I did more? And finally, her and Sandra DeCapo and Anthony Rudolph, the two partners who owned Kellogg's, were like, why don't you go home and email us what you have in mind? You're, you know, kind of telling us, but just <laughs> go home and tell us. And I did. And we became partners, wow. obviously differently than today. You know, we yeah. had to really get to know each other. But yeah, that's, we didn't know what it would be called or it was already called Union Square Play actually, but I just meant we didn't know what would happen or what would take place with everything. Right. But it it all came to such a beautiful start of the Union Square Play journey very organically. Oh, it's so fun. And that's usually the best, That that's the best way, you know, to have that organic connection. But wow. Now to see what that little email did, it's pretty yes, impressive. Jenny. I actually like pulled it up a few months ago and was like so happy that I still have it. Oh, yeah, and, and people who have wanted to talk, like I, I'm like I wish I could say I like had this business plan. I didn't. None of us did. <laughs> Anthony, Sandra, me, we did not. We mm-hmm. were just like. Dion, who's the movement teacher, needs a space and everyone loves her, so we'll give her a space. And it was very much like just responding to parental needs, including our own, yes. <laughs> and seeing what happened. Oh my gosh. Well, and it's so fun for those of you who are tuning in and you didn't know the beginning stages. Maybe you actually have been to Union Square Play and and you're a part of this amazing community. How fun to hear kind of the behind the scenes and uh, your whole journey, Jenny. I mean, th- this whole story, I know we've we've covered quite a few years here. Um, and even up to now, we have Tess and then you had Nell as well. It's it's amazing to think of uh, of what's to come. And and I'd love to ask in a, in a second, I'll ask, you know, what is what is to come? But before that, I, I know that my listeners would, would be mad if I didn't ask this question. And I always give a little bit of a heads up that this is, this is a little bit of a loaded one. Um, but I'd love to ask, what is perhaps the greatest lesson you have learned? Yeah, it is loaded, but 
No, it, it's actually one that I can answer. The greatest lesson I have learned, and I attribute this to my partners, Anthony and Sandra, to a woman I worked with and miss so much who I have not seen since before COVID, Lisa mm-hmm. Zarevsky. She's a play expert, an amazing, amazing human that I worked with at Union Square Play. Wow. The greatest lesson I learned is to really stay true and believe in yourself. And I don't mean that in the frilly, virally uh, way. I mean it in the way that when you start your career as an entrepreneur or creating something, you can get really distracted by what other people are doing, what is working for other people, mm. what you think people want versus what you think or know you want to create. Mm. And that's very distracting. And I have been sort of, I guess, not victim to it. That's an extreme word, but sort of I've been there. And the three of them always reminded me, but you know what, you know what to be true with kids. You know that Mm. a fancy schmancy, you know, space doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily what kids need. So mm. don't worry that we don't have that like state of the art gym space, you know, right. and that we have a room full of incredibly amazing, intentional, loose parts and open-ended materials. And if you don't follow me, you might be confused, but believing <laughs> in it, you know, there would be parents who are like, do you have a gym here? Like you guys should get a basketball hoop or why did you put that roller coaster away? And as this like people pleasing person inside me would come out Mm. or my role as a director of like just trying to keep everyone happy and being everything to anyone who walked in the door, I was like, oh, we actually don't have that here. Like that's okay if we don't have that here. That's not, you know, I wouldn't give them this spiel, but really we we didn't need to be everything to everyone. We could be Mm. what we were to someone, you Mm. know, and what we are. But I just mean when we were in the physical space and we will be back there. But um, I just needed to really stay focused on that and not try and please everyone in that way. Well, it's such a good takeaway. I mean, for anyone, for anyone listening, the thought that comes to mind on my end that I'll be I'll be trying to put into play in my own life. Sometimes we have homework on, on how to do that. This can be your homework. But put your blinders on, you guys. I love what Jenny yeah. just shared. To to not compare, you know, and good grief in New York, you could have anybody in, in this realm to look to and say, well, they're doing it this way, they're doing it that way. But for you and your specific giftings and talented, boy, it, it's been amazing to see at Union Square play. And had Jenny not put those blinders on, well, you guys, who knows if we would be chatting and and hearing her story. So that's that's amazing. Well, I know that there's always something exciting happening for you guys over at Union Square Play for you personally. (laughs) I'd love to know what's next for you. Oh my goodness. It's there's a lot. And there's of course things that aren't solidified and are in works. And so I can't give too much on, but then there's also some (laughs) great things that I can, but I'd say that the next phase for Union Square Play that we're doing a little bit of now this summer is the physical experience again. We closed in COVID. We gave up our space. We had to give up our space. And we are going to be back, plurally. Ah. <laughs> um, we are already back a little bit in a pop-up capacity over the summer at Hudson Yards, which has just been so magical to be back together again. Oh. Um, we're still always going to be virtual to be able to to bring community together together who aren't in New York 
hopefully, you know, we'll be in more than just New York. So just to say that we'll be back physically in conjunction with our, our virtual world. Um, and then some other sort of complimentary things that, you know, services and things like that, you know, the moms groups, the parenting plus platform, which is a way to connect with other parents, maybe some gift gifting things that we have in the works and playroom design. So just like lots of ancillary services and sort of a whole, I hope what will be like this enterprise. (laughs) Oh my, well, I see it. Without giving away too much. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, we will stay tuned. Now, Ginny, is there anything we didn't cover today that you'd like to? Um, I would say just to really take advantage of what we're offering. I mean, in a way that's just the community, you know, that we're sort of this hub of, of connection. You know, our platform is free until you want it not to be, you know, and you want to add on more. So if you're just a mom and looking to connect or expecting to be a mom and looking to connect, follow me or follow Union Square Play and you'll you'll find that. I guess I just want to leave parents with that. I think when you follow me, it's not as clear what exactly is offered, you know, because it's such like at a personal account of my life. But there yeah. are so many incredible things that we offer at Union Square Play that I could not be where and who I am as a mother without. Wow. Um, so I know that I'm biased, but I'm also saying that from <laughs> from benefiting from those services as well. <laughs> uh, no, it's so true. It's so true. And you guys definitely give Ginny, we'll, we'll let you know where to follow her. Uh, but Ginny, one, one thing I love to ask guests, and we're wrapping here, we're wrapping up, but one thing I love and, and a theme that I hear in your story is, is the kind of continual element of networking. You even mentioned, you know, going to Union Square Play and how organic that connection was. And, and we love that here too. So I love to ask my guest, who do you know that should maybe come on and share their how'd she do that story? I mean, I'm sure there are so many people, but one that sticks out to me, I mean, it's so hard to answer because there are just so many incredible people. <laughs> I guess that there, yeah. So it's a mom I met in mom group and she is just incredibly intelligent when it comes to children and eating. And I know there's so many nutritionists oh, wow. out there and, but she really combines this respectful parenting with her incredible intellect when it comes to eating. And she's created something called Scent to Health and her name is Ali Bandier. And she is just my guru when it comes to that. I can't pretend to be a feeding <laughs> expert and she embodies more than just that. And wow. she's creating sort of this like enterprise of her own in that arena. Wow. And I, so I, I think her journey would be, she just, she's a mom a year in. And oh. I think I'd love oh, to, well, to plug that for her there. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you, Jenny. You all will have to be on the lookout for a potential episode with Allie. And Jenny, I have been teasing this and teasing this. I know that many of you have already looked up Jenny. You've already followed Mo Mommies on Instagram, but where can listeners connect with you? So you can connect with me. The most straightforward way is on Parenting Plus because that's where I can answer my messages. It's really hard on my Instagram at Mo Mommies to go through all the direct messages and at Union Square Play, we have a team who go through the messages. So Parenting Plus is this platform where I can answer those messages. 
I guess that's not so straightforward. So otherwise it would be <laughs> going on, you know, one of going on the Union Square Play website and sending an email. And yeah, of course, DM or following me, you'll see there's like an array of ways to connect. But yeah, that's the, the way that I'm able to respond best. <laughs> I can't imagine what your DMs look like. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, Jenny, this has been so much fun. I can't thank you enough for your time and I've loved sharing your story. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday for a new episode. We will talk to you soon.